to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. So to begin today, I'm going to tell you something that I don't think is going to be a surprise to you. I am not a video game person. But let me tell you, When I was growing up, there was one particular video game that I loved, Super Mario Brothers. I love Super Mario Brothers. And then when Super Mario Brothers 3 came out, that was my favorite. And when I went to like write the sermon, by the way, it tried to autocorrect when I wrote Nintendo, because that's the gaming system. It tried to make it Nintendo Switch. Not that. I'm talking about the old school Nintendo. Pretty sure the Teemans have one in their garage. It's amazing. So we played this game. Now fast forward to present day. We'd gotten rid of our Nintendo, but we a, long, a, few months, a few years ago, they came out with this like mini Nintendo that was pre-programmed with all of the old school games. So I convinced my husband that we needed one of these. And I won, and we got one. And let me tell you, and I, well, this is kind of braggy, but I'll brag. Uh, I'm so really good at that game. Like, I remembered where all of, like, the extra lives were, how to get the little, like, flute things to get to extra, to the further worlds. And I like to play it with my boys. And they'll tell you now, they're pretty impressed with how well I play this game because I don't play any other games very well. So we were pretty excited when the Super Mario Brothers movie came out. And so on Friday night, a friend and I took our oldest boys to go see it. And it did not disappoint. Now, just in case you are not familiar, the main characters are two plumber brothers, Mario and Luigi. Mario is the big brother, and he's always looking out for Luigi. And they have a special relationship. They are always working together to defeat the bad guys or the pipes or whatever it is. And I love this. And so my friend and I were excited to take our older boys to see this, especially so we could share with them how they should look out for their younger brothers. Brothers are better together, right? You want to look out for your sibling. But we know that not all sibling relationships are like Mario and Luigi. We know that they're not always sunshine and roses. There's a lot of things that can happen that can cause strife and friction between siblings. And these relationships are complex. It's amazing how siblings can live in the same household and be very different people. Sometimes siblings have shared experiences that bond them and make them close. And other times, siblings know exactly what buttons to push to aggravate one another. And there's a million other iterations of sibling relationships. And today, we're going to look at a group of brothers who had an intense relationship. There was a lot of sibling rivalry going on. 
But we're also going to explore how God's plan worked through their relationships in ways that they often did not see. This is the second week of our sermon series, Hidden God. Jeff kicked it off last week by looking at Jacob's life and Jacob's realization that God was in the place, but Jacob did not know it. And as Jeff shared last week, it's such a comfort to know that God is there even when we don't recognize God's presence. This week, we're keeping it in the family. We are going to explore the life of Joseph, one of Jacob's sons. Jacob's 11th son to be exact, but it was his firstborn to him and Rachel. Now, you may remember bits and pieces of Joseph's story. One of the most famous stories about Joseph is the coat of many colors. You see, he is his father's favored son, and Jacob gives Joseph this beautiful coat. Now, needless to say, these older brothers, not so happy about this. They are very, very jealous. Joseph's story is a wild one. It's got a lot of ups and downs. It's a roller coaster of life. And we're going to look, as I said, how God's good plan was working in the background of his life the entire time, even in the extreme downs. Our scripture passage is Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 21. But before we read it, let's go to God in prayer. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God of us all, we ask that you would quiet our thoughts And open our minds and our hearts to where you are speaking to us through your holy scripture this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So like I said, this is Genesis chapter 50 verses 15 through 21. Listen now to the word of our Lord. Realizing that their father was dead, Joseph's brother said, What if Joseph still bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong we did to him? So they approached Joseph saying, your father gave this instruction before he died. Say to Joseph, I beg you, forgive the crime of your brothers and the wrong they did in harming you. Now therefore, please forgive the crime of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also wept, fell down before him and said, we are here as your slaves. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good in order to preserve a numerous people as he is doing today. So have no fear I myself will provide for you and your little ones. In this way, he reassured them, speaking kindly to them. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, to fully appreciate this passage, we need to take a look back at why Joseph's brothers thought he may possibly hold a grudge against them. So In a few moments, I'm going to give you a quick overview of the events that brought the brothers and Joseph to this particular place. Now, we know that these brothers are especially important. They will become the 12 tribes of Israel. 
As I mentioned, Joseph is one of the youngest and favored by his dad. And Joseph also had the gift of God-given dreams, and he interpreted them. Now, to begin, he ended up having two dreams. One was where binding sheaves of wheat bowed down to him, and the other where 11 stars and the sun and the moon bowed down to him. Now, he shared these dreams with his mom and his dad and his brothers, who already maybe were jealous, didn't like him. He shared these dreams of being bowed down to. I mean, the sun and the moon are bowing down to him. So the big brothers, they don't like it. And it's pretty obvious by what they do next that this was not just a mild annoyance. It was a deep sibling rivalry. They were ready to get rid of Joseph. So Joseph is actually sent out into the field to to check on his brothers. And they essentially end up kidnapping him. And their plan is to kill him. But one of his brothers, Reuben, ends up kind of listening to his conscience, and he convinced the others, okay, let's not kill him. We'll just throw him into a hole and then sell him to the Ishmaelites. It's great, great. So that's what they did. Then they lied to their dad. They told Jacob that Joseph was dead. So you can imagine, as a father, he was devastated. Now, we know that that Joseph wasn't dead, but things weren't good for him. So then he sold into slavery to Potiphar, who's an officer of Pharaoh. Now, he does such a good job for Potiphar, though, that Potiphar promotes him to be the head of the household. So things are looking up for Joseph. This is good. He's got a place, a position of authority. Well, Potiphar's wife sees what good things Joseph is doing, and she tries to seduce Joseph. Joseph, though, does the right thing and doesn't give in to it, but then she's upset. So then she tells a lie to Potiphar about Joseph, which makes Potiphar mad. So then Potiphar throws Joseph in jail. This is not good again for Joseph. Y'all, he's not even 30 yet. This is not good. So he's in jail again. Wrongly so. This is unjust. But he ends up becoming an authority in this prison. And he also ends up interpreting dreams. Fast forward, somebody who worked with Pharaoh remembered dreams that he interpreted in prison. And Pharaoh invited Joseph to come help interpret his dreams. Pharaoh is really impressed by Joseph. So He promotes Joseph to be an overseer of the land in Egypt at 30 years old. And Joseph ends up preventing a famine over the land. And in this time, Jacob sends his sons to get food from Egypt. Joseph recognizes his brothers. Joseph ends up revealing his identity to his brothers and sends for his whole family to return. So Jacob and the family, they come to live in Egypt with the favor of Pharaoh. Joseph forgave his brothers and came to their aid. But then Jacob dies. And the brothers are very, very scared. They are wondering, what if he just did this and acted out of kindness towards us, 
for our father's sake, because our father was alive. Is this going to be the same now that Jacob has died? I feel like I can understand why they might be thinking this, why they might be worried that that Joseph really does have a grudge against them still. And that's where we come to our point and passage today, when they come before him. Now, before we continue on about that, I told you earlier how we went to the Super Mario Brothers movie. Well, there was a preview before the movie that was very, very similar to this story. So before the movie, we see this preview about another set of brothers. It's the new Trolls movie. And so you see in the preview, the character, Branch, his long-lost brother shows up, and Branch is not happy. He tells his friend Poppy, he used to be my brother, but my brothers walked out on me and never came back. Sound familiar? Then his brother pleads with him, Branch, we're out of sync. We've gone from boys to men, and now there's only one direction to go. The back streets. Y'all, I am not going to lie. I had to refrain myself from saying, back streets, back, all right. I was so excited about this. We will definitely be going to see this movie. But then the brothers go on a quest to get themselves back together again. And I feel like the Trolls movie creators got their idea from this story in Scripture. Because it's the same situation in which we find Joseph and his brothers They have a sordid past. The brothers walked out on Joseph because of their own fears, that their dad favored him, and their own insecurities because of his dreams, and their own judgments that Joseph thought he was better than them. And they lied to their father, causing him excruciating pain. And they felt tremendous guilt. And now Joseph is in this place of power, and he's helped them out. But when his dad dies, they are so overcome with this guilt, that they are wondering, is Joseph going to turn on us? Worse, is he going to come after us and do something to us like we did to him? And they make this candid plea for forgiveness. They fall down before him, which is this dream coming to fruition too. But the brothers, while they are preoccupied by their guilt, it's interesting because Joseph is not. Joseph doesn't seem to be worried about that at all. Joseph is thinking about God and where God has been leading him. And to be totally honest, I don't think what happened in this moment could have happened without God at work. Joseph knew the dream that God gave him. And Joseph said, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Even though you intended to harm me, God intended it for good in order to preserve a numerous people as he's doing today. So have no fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he said this in kindness. Friends, this is a formidable announcement. Though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good. The Hebrew word here for intended is hasab, which can also be translated as plan. An Old Testament scholar, Walter Brueggemann, says that this verse asserts that the brothers have been much too concerned with their own plan, that is their plot to eliminate Joseph, 
So great was their concern that they could not see that in the midst of their scheme was another plan which none of them knew, a plan hidden but sure in its work. That plan from God is evident only now, and it intends that the family of Jacob by the hand of Joseph should be brought to a time of well-being. The plan is that this family is destined for life in a world of death. This particular verse is similar to the speakers of the wisdom literature in Psalms and Proverbs who are very aware of being victimized with those who have evil plans to harm them, but that also know and trust the counter plan of God. Proverbs 19.21 says, are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will be established. Joseph is sure that God's plans for life will triumph. He doesn't know how, he doesn't know when, but he trusts the divine intention of God. And there are two dimensions at play here that help us navigate this narrative. The first one is realism, being realistic about our human places of jeopardy. And then the other one is certitude, being certain about the outcome and faithfulness of God. Brueggemann goes on to say, realism taken alone leads to despair, for then we only know about the danger, but not the outcome. Certitude taken alone leads to romanticism, for when we only know the victory, but imagine we are immune from the battle. The note of realism is urgent for the listening community, for we are inclined to be romantic about piety. It is precisely this gospel which understands the place of jeopardy in which we are called to live. And at the same time, the narrative invites the community to participate in the faithful certitude of the wisdom teachers. They don't doubt that God will triumph. And Joseph's recognition of God's sure plan for Israel doesn't lead to him abdicating trust. It leads to his vocation, to what he'll do. There's a perfect correlation between God's will for Joseph's life and Joseph's work and vocation of providing. And he accepts this vocation, which by the plan of God has to give life to the family. And this was hard to see and hidden much of the time, but he trusted. Now, it is really easy for us to judge Joseph's brothers harshly. Their fears and concerns caused them to do terrible things to their brothers, which only led to more hurt and guilt and fear. They were so caught up in their own concerns that they couldn't recognize God's presence. And when I am honest with myself, I can relate to the brothers a lot more than I would like. If I'm being honest, sometimes my own fears and confirm, uh, concerns are the things that instigate my actions, not my faith. I can get so caught up in what's going on in my own world that I have blinders on and I can't see where God is at work. And then I try to insert my own plans and my own will, just like Joseph's brothers did, instead of trusting that God has a plan, even if I can't see it. Now, just to ease your mind and to keep my job, 
I, when I said I could relate to Joseph's brothers, I didn't mean like I've done anything like they did. I have not. Their plan was very much intended to harm Joseph. And I want to make it clear that what they did was not God's plan. We live in a very broken world. And people make horrible choices sometimes. And we know there are consequences for these choices. But our brokenness and our poor choices do not make God run from us. In fact, God draws near to us. God keeps working God's plan in our lives, God's good plans, even in the midst of our poor choices and poor plans. Isaiah 41.10 says, Do not fear because I am with you. Do not be afraid for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will surely help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Joseph knew this. Not just in the good times when he was in control or in a place of authority, but also in the very scary, very unjust, and very uncertain times. God was with him, and God is with us. Pastor and author Adam Hamilton says in his book, Unafraid, Living with Courage and Hope in Uncertain Times, that when he reads the scriptures, he trusts that what God said to his people in the past, he may well say to today. And he offers that this is actually a way that he prays conversationally with God. He reads the scriptures as God talking to him, and then he responds to God. He gives us an example in his book. Scripture tells us that God says, Don't fear because I am with you. Don't be afraid for I am your God. So let us say back, thank you, Lord, for being with us. Always help us to trust and not be afraid. You are our God. God says to us through scripture, I will strengthen you. I will surely help you. I will hold you with my righteous right hand. Let us say, yes, Lord, you are our strength. Do help us, Lord, and hold us and never let us go. This is my prayer for us today, too, that we might be so aware of God's presence, knowing that God is with us in every single circumstance, strengthening us, helping us, and holding us. There is no better place to be than to be in God's hands, knowing that God's good plan is at work. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we thank you that you are indeed with us. God, we pray that we would be reminded of that in our lives, in every circumstance, in the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, that you will never leave us and that you are working even when we can't see it. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. been listening to the RPC Sermons podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.